I read this week um, from a, a, a daily devotional that I get uh, this, this statement. I want to um, open with it this morning. It says, when the religious spirit or when religion is operating, knowing about God substitutes for knowing God. Teaching is exalted and church feels like a seminar. Could be intellectual, could be motivational. Good content is what matters. People can explain theories of the atonement or seven steps to a happy life, but can't name one intimate encounter that they've had with Jesus. You can talk about the sunshine and live your lives underground. You can go to the sea but never dive in. A great deal of what is adamantly taught about Jesus is taught by people who don't know him very well. And it ends us with this question. Are your leaders close friends of God? People who actually know and experience Jesus and help you to know and experience him. If you consider me one of your spiritual leaders, and I suspect that many of you do, because I can't imagine why you would come and listen to me every Sunday if you didn't. You know, maybe once or twice, but not week after week after week. I, I want you to know that I do know Jesus personally and experientially, but not nearly as well as I want to. I don't experience him nearly as much as I would like to. And I find myself less and less satisfied with not knowing him better and not experiencing more now than I ever have before. And I'm more committed now than I ever have been to not just talking with you about Jesus, but in helping you to know him better and better and better and experience him more and more and more in your life. And that's where we're going in this series that we're, I think, five weeks in, into now, inside out, that scriptures, Jesus in his life and his ministry talked about us being one with him and him being one in us, actually living inside of us, dwelling inside of us, and actually us knowing him intimately and personally and experiencing him. And how does that happen in our lives? Not just knowing about, but knowing. But this doesn't negate the value of teaching or the importance of knowledge. You, you can't, you, you can know about someone without knowing them. Uh, you, can, you can know about Abraham Lincoln. You can read about him in books. You can see pictures of him and know what he looks like. You, you can know a lot about him, but we can't know him because he's dead and, and has been for a long time. But you can't know someone without knowing anything about them either, right? If, we, if you don't know anything about someone, you can't say, oh, I know them really well because you don't know anything about them, right? You can't, you, you can like know that I'm six foot three and have brown, graying 
hair. But you don't know me if you don't know that I love the wilderness and I love to be out in the mountains, right? We have to know some things about someone to know them, but we can know things about them and, and not know them. And Jesus lamented his critics. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The scriptures are key to life. Jesus is saying, it's here. It's important. You diligently study them. Praise God. Good job. Great deal. But it's not enough just to know what they say because what they're telling you is leading you to this intimate personal relationship with me and you're not following them to this relationship. Scriptures are key, but they're not an end. You can, you can read the whole book. You can memorize it from, from cover to cover. And it's all for naught, Jesus says, if you don't follow the trail that is leading you to a relationship with me. I took a, uh, a class in, um, in college at Purdue, Secular University, called The Bible is Literature. It was like I was trying to find something that would help me get ready for seminary. And so I took this, the only class that had the Bible's name in it in all of the Purdue curriculum. The Bible is literature. And on one of the tests, the question was, compare Psalm 117 to Psalm 119. And, and the right answer was this. Psalm 117 is the shortest psalm in the Bible, and Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. Okay, what use is that information, right? It's of no value. What does the psalm say, and what are they communicating about who God is, and about where we are in the world, and about who we are? The scriptures are not an end. They are leading us to Jesus. Their value is introducing us to the very source of life. How do we know God? How do we know him? A lie we believe to be true, I've said in this series and multiple times before, a lie we believe to be true affects us as if it were true. We can't know someone without knowing about them, but if what we know about them isn't true, we don't know them either. Right? If you think you know someone, but everything you know about them is false, this happens sometimes, like somebody does something that's completely out of the realm of what you thought they were capable of, and it's like, I don't even know this person, because what I thought I knew is no longer true. And it's true about what we believe about God, too, and about the world and about ourselves. If you think that God is a cosmic cop and he's like sitting up on the throne room of heaven with his whistle ready to blow it to you when you like walk in the crosswalk before the, the you know the walk light comes, comes on that, that, that's if you believe that about God that's going to affect the way that you relate to him if you believe that God is the master puppeteer and he's pulling the strings and everything going on around you is is under his um, control and, and we're just you know little puppets in the show if you believe that God is this cosmic energy source kind of floating through the universe, if you believe that God is personal, that God is impersonal, 
our divine watchmaker who started the creation and, and wound it up and now it's running and he has no part in it. Or that God is a 911 operator, that whenever you have an emergency, you know, 911, call them up. Otherwise, you know, you don't really need them. You're glad to have the, the, you know, the, the, the service there when you need it, but otherwise it's just kind of there. Who is God? How do we know him? And is what we know actually who God is? Story is how we orient our lives. It's how we make sense out of our world. If life is a cosmic accident, if that's the story, and it's going to end in a cosmic accident, then Paul says, hey, if that's the story you're living in, here's how to live. Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. What difference does it make? If there's an eternal spirit that indwells all of creation, and that's the story that we're living in, then tree-hugging and sun worship makes sense. Right? If, the, if the story we're living in is a story of karma, and you do good things, and good things come back to you, and you do bad things, and bad things come back to you, if that's the story that you're living in, that, that's the way the world works, then it serves us like do some good things, right? Do more good things than bad things. If the story that you're living in is that Westerners are infidels, they need to be destroyed, and that if you kill them, then you will be welcomed and, and, you get, and you die in the process, then you'll be welcomed into heaven by a hundred virgins, right? That's a story that people believe and it affects the way that they live. What is the story that we're living in? And there are a lot of competing narratives that we're being offered. Battling for the truth. Battling for the truth in our culture. Battling for the, battling for the truth in our very souls. What is the story that you're living in? What is the purpose of your life? What is the meaning of your existence? If you answer that question, how do you answer it? Who's the good guy in the story? Who's the bad guy? Who's the villain? What's the villain? Is it, a, is it the other political party? Is it, is it the Russians? Is it your ex? Who's the villain in your story? tells us about what we believe about the story that we're living in. Who's the hero? Where does your hope lie? Are you confident in your future? Do you believe that at the end of the day everything's going to be okay? Or do you think that everything kind of hangs in the balance and who really knows how it's all going to play out? What we believe about these things affects how we live. Where do we start? How do we, where do we start to figure this stuff out? What is the truth? Is it simply a matter of faith? Is it build a God? I think that's the way a lot of our culture functions. Like you go on the internet and you read this about God and you believe this and you read this and you read this and you read this. And you're kind of like, I like this piece here and I'll take this piece here and I'll have this piece here. And then you hear people say things, well, my God wouldn't as each of us have our own personal God. How do we know what the truth is? 
the Judeo-Christian faith lays its foundation on this, that we can know God. And we can know God, not because we have to guess, but because God has actually made himself known to us. And if he doesn't make himself known to us, we can't know, but he does. And how does he make himself known to us? He reveals himself in his creation. He's the creator. If you look at a piece of art, you can look at the art, and you learn something about the artist. See, if this, is, if this whole creation is his artwork, then you can look at it and learn, learn some things about who God is and what God is like. The psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. Uh, you look up in the stars in the sky and, and you get an idea that God is, an, is infinite. This vast creation. He must be a vast creator. You, you look at the Alps and, and you see their beauty and their glory and their majesty and you see evidence of the majesty and the glory of God. You stand at the ocean and you see the, the waves coming in and crashing and pounding on the shore, and you feel the weight of that. Actually, go into it and feel the weight of it. It's pretty scary. You get a feeling of the power of God. He reveals himself in creation. He reveals himself in history. Through the Old Testament, through his encounters with people like Moses and Abraham, David and Solomon, Elijah, Elijah and Elisha, and, and all the Old Testament prophets and the kings. And God's interactions with him, we learn things about God from the, his actions in history and his relationships with people. God has revealed himself most profoundly in the incarnation, becoming flesh in the person of Christ. Hebrews says that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. When you look at the life of Jesus, when you meet him in the scriptures, you are meeting the very presence and the essence and the nature and the character of God. He reveals himself in Christ. And he reveals himself by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said before he left, create, before he left the earth to his disciples, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The spirit is revealing to us the truth of who God is and where God is at and what God is doing in the world. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, I am the truth and the way and the truth and the life. And when you know me then, when you know Christ, you know the truth, which is to say we can know the truth. It is available to us. We find it in creation and in history and in Christ and through his spirit. And Jesus says, and when you know the truth, when you know the truth, it will set you free. Which is to say, what you know, when you know it, can change you. Can change your life. 
can take you from a place of bondage to a place of freedom, can take you from a place of brokenness to a place of healing, can take you from a place of fear to a place of courage, can take you from a place of sorrow to a place of joy, can be changed. Paul writes to the church at Rome, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing, by the changing of your mind. The story that we find in scriptures claims to be the truth. And the true story that you find there is that Jesus Christ is now, will be, and always has been the story of the world. That Jesus Christ is now, will be, and always has been the story of the world. And if that story is true, then Jesus reigns over all of creation. And Jesus is present with us now. And he will never leave us or forsake us. And he's going to return in glory and he's going to make all things new. If this story is the true story, then the story, regardless of everything else that's going on in the world and all the chaos, does not end Good news, people, in a zombie apocalypse or a nuclear war. It ends with God coming and making his dwelling on earth and all things being made new. That's the story. That's the true story then to get that into our heads and into our minds allows us to then change us to live appropriately in, in light of that story. I, I know this is the story I believe. I, I know it's a story that many of you believe. It's a story that maybe some of you are investigating. Is it true? How can I know? But it is not a story that is easy to say centered in because there are always so many other voices shouting into our lives, telling us a different story. To, to remain in that story requires intentionality, requires practice requires us to pay attention to what's going on in our lives. Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God 
And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We, we look at the, the things that are being, the, the messages that are being sent into the world. And we don't just consume them. We stop and say, hold on, what, what, is, what is this saying? This TV show that I just watched, or this commercial that I'm watching, or this song that, that is stuck in my head, what is it actually saying? Is it the truth? Is this the story that I believe? Or is it telling me somebody else's story and taking me down a road that leads to doubt, fear, anxiety? He said, we're, we're capturing every thought, measuring it against the truth, the true story, and anything that doesn't line up, we're throwing it out. To hold on to, to rain, remain in this story requires us to, to speak it, to speak our minds, to proclaim what is true. What is true about who God is? If God is love, if God is sovereign, to actually say, I feel alone, but God is love. I'm not alone. I feel like I'm losing hope, but God is a God of hope. God is a God who has written the end of the story. That, that feeling is deceitful. It's, it's a lie. It's coming from someplace else. Proclaiming, declaring the truth. The truth of who God is. The truth that to be a child of God is to be chosen by him. Back in um, April of last year, I did a series on the Apostles' Creed. It's a confession of faith. It's an I believe statement. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. It's a statement that is reminding ourselves, proclaiming again, telling the truth of what it is that a Christian, that a follower of Jesus believes. Simply saying that out loud over and over again, whenever we start to doubt, to tell the truth, to speak the truth out loud again, resets our minds in a place that they can be renewed and transformed. Speaking our minds, filtering our thoughts, through this truth, the psalmist prayed, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Think about that. God, whenever you're stopped, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. To simply stop for a minute. Say, God, What's really going on in my heart? What's really going on in my head? Where, where are these anxious thoughts coming from? Inviting God into the assessment process. I find that I'm sometimes not very good at assessing myself. Say, this is what I think, God. I think Deb's all wrong here. And usually she is, but every once in a while he's like, no, not this time. <laughs> yeah, you all know that's not true. Because you know me, right? <clears throat> not just about me, you know me. Filtering our thoughts. 
This one's worth a million bucks. Resist speculation. Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or, what you, uh, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Jesus says, do not worry. It is not a suggestion. It's a directive. It's a commandment. He's not saying, hey, this would be a really great idea. Why don't you try this out? He says, do not worry. Stop it. Worry is effectively writing a future for ourselves that God is not a part of. Jesus says the pagans run after all these things. He's saying that's conformity. That's what the world does. Don't go there. Don't do that. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Transformative. Don't conform to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, knowing that God is your heavenly Father. He knows what you need. He says then, seek first his kingdom, which is to say, hey, it's not that you shouldn't think about the future. He's actually saying think about the future. What he's saying when you think about the future, think about the future is God's kingdom where God is sovereign, where God is reigning over all of creation and where all things are restored under his sovereign rule. Write that future for yourself. It is useless, I find, and maybe you're different than me. Maybe you have um, you know, better focus than I do. But for me to say to myself, I start worrying about something. Oh, stop worrying, stop worrying, stop worrying. Right? What you actually end up doing is worrying more and more because you're thinking about what you're not worrying about. Dev, many of you are doing the pause app. Um, right? And it, the, the first um, part of the pause app is, God, I give everyone and everything to you. I'm releasing everything to you. And Deb said, when I started doing that at first, I just started thinking about all the things that I was, you know, it started bringing to mind all the things that I needed to let go of, and I'm actually thinking about the things that I let go of, but not really letting go of them. That's why it's next support to take the next step, right? It's not enough to say stop worrying or to think about the things that we're worrying about, but to redirect our thoughts to resist speculation, but practice concentration. Concentration. A lot of people say, I just can't focus my attention. I can't concentrate. We actually can. Worry is concentration. It's just a matter of what we're concentrating on. Many of us are really, really good at that. We're concentrating on something else. It requires intentionality. You find this word a lot in the New Testament. This is from Romans chapter 8. It says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. What is your, where is your mindset? What are you thinking about? Where are you focusing your attention? The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Those are my, not my defaults. If I'm going to think about those things, I'm going to have to stop say, okay, where is my mind right now? Oh, wow, I'm running down this trail, and it's taking me to a cliff that I don't want to run off of. Stop. 
What's the truth? Who is God? Where is God? Who am I? Am I an orphan in this story? Am I alone? Is it up to me? Do I have to fear? No, 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 no. The Lord is my shepherd. What does that mean? Well, it means somebody's watching out for me. Somebody's guiding me. Somebody's going to rescue me when I fall off the cliff and and bring me back to, to safety. Think about the things of God that are good. Remember who he is and who you are and what he has done and how much he has loved you, how much he loves you. I'm going to give you a prayer that I want to add to your pause app this week. If you're not using it, you can download it online. It's, a, it's just a, it's a real simple tool. How many of you um, are doing it? I've talked to, heard from some of your stories, and um, there's a one-minute pause. After you do the one-minute pause a few times, it opens up the option of a three-minute pause. Three-minute pause opens up a five-minute pause, and then there's some 10-minute pauses. I'm not telling you to do more. I'm just telling you that there's more there, and you've probably seen it. Use it as a tool that brings us back to center again. I want you to add this to the pause app this week, this prayer. Prayer of consecration. Consecration of your mental life to God. It's, to consecrate something is to give it to God especially. To entrust it to him. To say, God, this belongs to you. And I'm inviting you into it to consecrate, to set it apart for God. When we consecrate something to God, we're bringing it under the protection of God and we're bringing it into the provision of God and of his care. When we consecrate it, it allows the strength of God to strengthen us. So we consecrate our mental life to God, our thoughts to God. We consecrate them to God We're inviting him to provide and to protect our minds. Here's the prayer. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I consecrate my mind, all of my mental life to you. I give you my thoughts, my focus, and attention. I give you my memory and my recall my understanding, and my imagination. I consecrate to you, Lord, my interpretation of events in my life. I dedicate the life of my mind to you, Lord God, and to you alone. To have the strength of God governing your imagination. How powerful might that be? To have the wisdom of God guiding your thoughts and interpreting the events of your life. How helpful might that be? I'm terrible at interpreting the events of my life on my own. To invite God into to consecrate, to set it apart for God uniquely. I want to encourage you, use this prayer this week 
And I want to tell you, as we wrap up this morning, I'm um, building a toolbox over these next three weeks. And you're not going to be able to use all the tools at one time, right? You don't go to your toolbox and pull out the hammer and the screwdriver and, um, and the wrench and, you know, use them all. You use one tool at a time. But I'm building a toolbox that is designed for this specific purpose of going back to the beginning that you might know more and more about God that will lead you to know him more and more and experience him more and more. That you might experience what Paul talks about when he says, you know what, outwardly, we're wasting away. But inwardly, something's going on inwardly that is transformative. It is the life of Christ in me, and I'm being renewed day by day by day. So that even though the world may be falling apart around me, it is well with my soul. And the world needs people whose souls are well And we need souls that are well to live lives of abundance and significance. Lord, I pray that you would give us just a little more willpower by the power of your spirit at work within us to adopt a new habit this week. The prayer of consecration of our mental life. And add that to the habit that we've been working on the last few weeks with the pause app. Just a step at a time, a new tool at a time. Out of a desire Take all that we know about you and move it from our heads to our hearts. Allow it to settle into our soul and experience the life of Christ in us by your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name.